grab a seat and open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, we are in chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. Uh, thank you so much, worship team. Hey, can we just thank the worship team for, for that? Man. Just a great way to prepare our hearts as we receive God's word. So we have been in a series in the book of Ephesians. We took a little bit of a break last week, right? We had like a, a panel last week, so if you were here, uh, we had like a relationship panel, and that was a lot of fun to have different couples up here. But now we're, we're, we're back into the letter of Ephesians, right? A letter that Paul wrote specifically to the church that is located in Ephesus. And remember how much Paul loves this church. We, we actually started the series looking first in Acts when it began, when the church began, and how it, it rose to the occasion. And that actually had to require Paul to leave right? And how it was so heartbreaking for them to just say goodbye to Paul because they knew they weren't going to see him again. But Paul loved them so much enough to write them a letter one more time just to tell them how much he loves them, but also to encourage them to continue to follow the path that God has for this church. Okay, so this, is, this letter is all about how we should be as believers and also how we should be as a church, as a body, of, as brothers and sisters, um, la uh, the last time we were here, we were in chapter two and, and Google did an amazing job just kind of explaining the process of, of being saved and the process of what it took for Jesus to come and die on the cross and how we were broken, right? The, if you look at uh, chapter one or in the beginning of chapter two, you see the, the differentiations of who we were once and now who we are in Christ. And, and as you see in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, you see that it's the transformation of humanity, okay? So if we were to kind of do this in layers in your Bibles, verses 1 through 10, you kind of see the transformation that's happening in humanity specifically. Those that are once dead are now alive. But as we finish chapter 2 in verses 11 through 22, we're going to see specifically how Paul is addressing those that are now alive in Christ to live. Okay, we're going to see as we read verses 11 through 22, those that are made alive in Christ that are now believers in Jesus, how they're called to live specifically, though, as one, as one church in unity. But here is what it says in verses 11 and 12. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Now, the reason why Paul is speaking on unity is because there is an issue between the Jews and the Gentiles. In verses 11 and 12, you're starting to see something happen for the first time. And that is that the Jews and Gentiles are now being called to live amongst, not just live amongst each other, because they have lived in the same areas, but there was always something keeping them in between because the Jews were of the promised uh, old covenant, right? So when you read the word circumcised, it's just, that's a symbol of the promise that God had made with Abraham and, the, and, the, and his choosing the Jews to be his people to carry out his plan. And the Gentiles were not a part of that promise. 
But now Paul is making it very clear that, hey, you are now also in Christ. You used to be foreigners. You used to be aliens. You used to be dead in your transgressions. But now you are made alive in Christ as he's covered in the first part of chapter two. But there's an issue. There's tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews have been a part of the original covenant. They were the people that God chose right from the very beginning. But in reality, God had chosen the nation of Israel to carry out his plans for the entire world, not just Israel. If we look at, 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 at the plan that God has for the world, because from Genesis to Revelation, we see God's heart is very intentional. And his heart is for all people, all nations, not just the Jews. That's why Jesus came, for God so loved the world, not for God so loved Israel. God's heart is very clear from Genesis to Revelation that he wants the world to know who he is. But the Israelites, this is what happened. The people of, of Israel were filled with pride and ignorance, and that got in the way. And this is why we even see John, if you read in the book of John, call out the Jews to come and repent because they have not fully understood what God was planning for them in the first place. It was just kind of a symbol for them. I'm, I'm in the club, so to speak, but I don't know what this club's about. All I know is that I'm, it's a good club to be in. You get, you get what I'm saying? You follow me here? And now they're struggling because they don't want to be associated with Gentiles. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been in a group um, that was kind of exclusive in other words, does anybody have siblings? Was anybody ever forced to bring your sibling along to some things? I could never go to the movies without bringing my brother, and that made me so angry. Mom, he's not even on the basketball team. Like, why does he have to come? He's your brother, right? And he's going to go with you. Wherever you go, he's going to go. It doesn't, I don't care if you're a senior and he's a sophomore or junior and you're in different things. You are, by blood, brothers, and by Christ's sacrifice, we are now brothers and sisters. Hey, Jews and Gentiles, you are now brothers and sisters. And circumcision was just a physical symbol, again. But as a physical symbol, it is somewhat similar to the physical symbol of baptism, baptism for the believer, which signifies a relationship with Christ and separation from the world. Circumcision could never save anyone, okay? Neither can baptism. It's a symbol. So today's symbol that we have is baptism. We believe in believer's baptism, okay? That's what we uh, 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 believe in. That is what we uh, strive to do here. It has never been possible by our works like circumcision or baptism. It's only possible by Jesus, which is why he cleared that up in the first section. It's a physical reminder of God's covenant with his people. That's all circumcision was. And the Jews, right, were specifically chosen by God, but because of their pride and arrogance, they viewed the Gentiles as unclean, low, and worthless. They put themselves above them in creating a second class of follower of Jesus. And it saddens me because I still believe that that's happening today. But, but I'll get to that in a second. Because in the end, Paul is saying that neither one of these groups are really sitting at the table now. One group, the Gentiles, have always been living by the flesh, right? In verse 11, you were living by the flesh, never knowing who God was, never 
interested in knowing who he was in the first place. But as for the Jews, they were a part of a covenant. But notice what it says there in verse 11. It says, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. So he's speaking about the Gentiles in their flesh, also known as sin, also known as their own desires called the uncircumcised. So he's categorizing them and the uncircumcised as those who would dwell in their own fleshly desires. But who who is calling them the uncircumcised? It's the circumcised. In other words, those that were of the old covenant by whose, by which is done by human hands. So right off the bat, he's making a distinction. Gentiles, you didn't know better. You didn't know anything. You didn't even want to search for God. You were in sin. Jews, your circumcision is done by your own hands. God didn't come down and circumcise you, right? God didn't come down and do that. And I know if, if you're new to, to scripture and, and, and you hear these words, it can be kind of weird. And you're like, what in the world is he talking about? I don't have enough time to go into it. Just know that it means that God's people use that as a symbol for his covenant. But what he's saying here, Paul is saying, you did that by your own hands. You didn't, that's, that's nothing. You, you use your own works to try to do this. So in other words, none of you guys are really at the table because they're doing it by their own works. It's a self-made identifier that it's an, it's an inception was meant to be a symbol, but it's now turned into a badge of honor and pride and ignorance. That's all it is now. But then we see him, we see him transition into another reminder for his brothers and sisters in verse 13. Read with me there. 13 through 18, it says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his, what does it say there? Flesh. In his flesh. Verse 15, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressing regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And I'm reading from the CSB version. So interesting. I love it. He immediately creates a contrast between man's flesh and Christ's flesh. Same language, different power. Same word, but different emphasis or different um, ability to cause something. Because man's flesh led to division, but Jesus' flesh led to unification. Think about that. The Gentiles in their flesh, Jews circumcising themselves by their own hands, but the flesh of Jesus, instead of dividing, brings them together, unifies. Man's flesh led to death, it led to pride, It led to division, but Christ's flesh led to salvation, peace, and unity. 
every time it says peace in here, every time it says him uh, 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 giving his flesh, Jesus, it's for peace. That is his goal, to bring hostility to death, which is interesting because we always think about Jesus' sacrifice as us being reconciled to the Father, but we've never put it in the way in which we think us reconciling each other. Does that make sense? God's plan is so much bigger than just saving us. God's salvation is not a get out of hell ticket. That's not what it's for. It's so much more. It's, enough. it's, it's actually for us to also be unified together. Think about that. He's reconciling us to God, but he's also reconciling us to each other. Man, that is so powerful to compare his flesh to, to others' flesh and to know that there's so much more power in his flesh that doesn't divide but bring together. You cannot rely on your own ideas. You cannot rely on your own knowledge, inheritance, works. You can't do it. He is not only unifying the two, but he's also making something entirely new, which is becoming one. It doesn't mean that the Jews become Gentiles or the Gentiles become Jews. That's not what it means at all. It simply states that in Christ, we are something so much more. That there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Christ did not call us to be uniform in the sense of we're all going to be exactly similar. You have all been uniquely created with different tastes, different styles, different interests, different hobbies. Right? You have your own unique self to what God has made you to be, right? I'll never be a Canadian, eh, right? I can say it all, I'll never be Canadian. I'm a brown Mexican. That's who I am. Jews won't become Gentiles. Gentiles won't become Jews. But we become something so much more in Christ. Brothers and sisters of a kingdom. Citizens now of the kingdom. Let's raise our standards a little bit more because I'll tell you what, the world wants us to continue to look at each other, to continue to look at how different we are. You may not see it, maybe subliminal, maybe you don't even notice it, but I promise you, man, some of the things that I, I need to be careful here. Some of the things that frustrate me so much is this idea of how great a specific group is and how much we should strive to be like a specific group and leave our own group behind. I'll give you an example. This just came to me. I'll be honest with you. I lived in South Dakota and I was so embarrassed to be Hispanic. I was so embarrassed to be brown. I hated when my dad would drop me off and all I heard was like I hated it. I said, dad, don't play, like, I would like lean in my seat, bro. I'm not kidding. I had no sense of self-confidence who God made me to be. But when I came to know Jesus, I no longer saw my physical stature, my skin or anything. I saw who God called me to be in him, which is so much more. And so what I think Paul is telling these Jews and Gentiles, like, guys, you guys are always going to be different, Always. But in Christ, you're so much more because now you're brothers because his flesh brings peace and unity and grace and love. But we see this today.
we've created our own form of Jews and Gentiles. Let me ask you really quick. Is anybody in here like a Jew? Sometimes. Okay, so nobody's a Jew. Okay, so for the rest of us, we were all not a part of that original covenant. None of us were. I don't care if you go to like Ancestry.com and I was like, well, I'm like 8% Jewish. No, like, <laughs> that's not how it works. None of us were part of the original promise, right? That's the truth. But yet, if you look, we have so many different races, nationalities, so many different cultures and backgrounds, and we can look to Jesus as the unifying factor of that. But here's the sad part. Maybe let's just, for the sake of argument, we've advanced and say, oh yeah, no, like, we're totally fine. We have diversity, that's great. But let me take it a little bit further. Because we've created our own categories of Jews and Gentiles, not necessarily with our words, but with our actions. And I'll explain. There are some situations that I've been a part of, that I've been the cause of to where I cannot belong or this person cannot belong unless we adhere to the same specific doctrine, to the same specific worship, unless you raise your hands up the whole time, you're not a, you shouldn't be congregating with us. Unless you don't memorize the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you're able to quote it, you shouldn't be congregating in us. Unless you can't heal people or speak in tongues, you shouldn't be congregating with us. Or unless you don't vote this way or unless you don't vote that way. Or if you listen to this type of music, you're the devil. But if you watch this show, you're even worse. And hear me when I say this. Hear me when I say this. It's good to keep one accountable. Do not <laughs> leave and say, Eli said I could do all of that. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it's good to study. It's good to keep each other accountable. And it's good to know and to learn. But there's also this acknowledgement that there are a lot of gray areas that we kind of go, I don't know. Right? SpongeBob was the devil when I was growing up as a kid. I could not, anybody with me? Anybody not be able to watch SpongeBob as a kid? Yeah, I could not. I'm going to hell if I watch SpongeBob. He's going to come into my heart and take over my soul. That's what, that's what it was. I'm not going to tell my kid that. But again, am I going to, if a parent comes and says, I heard you watch SpongeBob as a kid, I don't think I'm going to be a part of this church. I'm going to look at you and say, dude, what are you talking about? That is so small compared to such a big task that we have at hand of sharing the good news of Jesus to people. But we can't share the good news of Jesus because I saw one episode of SpongeBob. That's what you're going to tell me. No, dude. That's not what it's about. And again, don't hear me say go do whatever you want. But what I'm saying is that we have created our own categories. And let's take it another level. Goodness gracious. There are people in this room that maybe just came to know Jesus today. And there are people in this room that have known Jesus since they were eight years old. You think they're in the same season? You think you expect them to know everything that you know? Hey, did you know that in John 1, you can actually defend the deity of Jesus by saying that the word became, wow, that's amazing. Awesome, dude. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, you should know that, man. Because how, how can you defend Jesus out there if you don't know? You know, the word, we're supposed to give an account for the Lord. We have to be ready to give an account for the Lord. Or we have to be ready to defend the Lord. Oh, man. And what does that create? It creates a distinction. I'm better than you. That's what you're saying. I'm better than you. And I will not 
be a part of a church or a young adult body that will continue to create division based off theological, doctrinal issues that aren't as important as the core beliefs. If you have given your life to Jesus, if you know that he's the one true God, three in one, born of a virgin, you've been baptized and you love him with all your heart, I will walk alongside you regardless of the fact that you watch SpongeBob. Does that make sense? Because I'm sick and tired of it. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm a little emotional just because this has been so relevant to my life right now. And it's frustrating me because I don't understand how we can, how we can create so much division and not just love one another the way that Christ has called us to love. But let, let, me, let me move on. Because here's what's happening. If you notice in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, it says, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Are you willing to be built? Are you willing to be a piece of the building that God is trying to build together? Are you going to remove yourself as a piece because that piece doesn't believe exactly how I think? That's the question that we're asking here. Are you willing to walk alongside those that you don't agree with? And I'm not saying you have to be best friends. I'm not saying that you have to love them to 100%. Well, you do have to love them 100%. But that doesn't mean emotionally. It means obediently as Jesus has called us to do. If they don't agree with you on a certain thing, take a second to think about it and remember where you were before and know that your season may look different than theirs. Remember that you don't have all the answers, that you don't have the final word. But on the other side, I'm not saying don't be accountable. But in fact, don't be also the one that condones sin. Don't be the one that endorses passivity towards sin. Lovingly be accountable, but also be able to have someone be accountable to you. And as we do that, we continue to look to Jesus as our cornerstone being built and put together so that God may continue to dwell in us. The church needs to be attractional. I believe in an attractional church. I believe in it. The only thing is I don't believe that it's attractional by our knowledge, though it's important. It's not attractional by our worship, though it's important by our lights, though that's great. It's not attractional by our building, though that's awesome that we have this, but it's attractional by the spirit that is at work within us where we love and care for one another passionately and submitting to each other in Christ. That is attractive. Love is not passivity. Love is also not creating division. It's a balance of work and grace and remembering who we once were without him. That's it's plain and simple. We're called to be unified in Christ, built on him. In him, the whole building is being put together. And I love this phrase, that it grows into a holy temple. It's not just going to happen overnight. There's a growing process, guys. That process is called sanctification. The process of becoming more holy. It's a growing process. And other people are going to grow at different rates than others. But don't you dare 
Don't you dare be that person that looks at someone and says, oh my goodness, how could you? But instead, and again, I'm not saying, also don't keep them accountable. Don't say, oh my goodness, and like walk, you know? No, I'm saying, oh my goodness, hey, can I, can I hear your story? How'd you come to know Jesus? Oh man, this is and that, and yada, yada. Oh, that's amazing, man, that's amazing. Anyone discipling you? Actually, no. Well, let me disciple you. Let me walk alongside you. Let me tell you a little bit of my journey. Man, we need to be a church that continues to pour into our brothers and sisters. I'm so thankful for the people that are in my life that call me out. I'm, oh, I almost, <laughs> almost said something. Call me out on my stuff. I'll put it that way. Because if not, man, I'm scared. The, the, the scariest thing for me is having people be so passive that I would be in my own sin. But I've also been on the other side where I've been so discouraged that I don't even want to go to a gathering because I know that I don't know all the answers to the theological nuances of what it means to be in the Trinity. <laughs> so where do I belong? Well, Christ is telling me that I belong with him. And I belong with other brothers and sisters that understand in humility who we're called to be. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that you reminded us to just seek you. Jesus, we, we repent. I repent of the times that I may have been divisive. And Lord, we, we ask for forgiveness in that. I repent, Lord, of, of the moments where I didn't call out my brother in sin either. Lord, continue to, to guide us, continue to convict us, to transform us. And may we just be a church that is unified and celebrating our diversity and celebrating the unification that is in you and you alone, the cornerstone of the church, the cornerstone of our lives, our firm foundation as we sang about it. We have seen rain come, but our house was built on you. We have seen wind come, but our house was built on you. You will not be shaken. So let us have confidence in that. To your name we pray and we all said, amen.